Hello everyone, I'm ASI Senior Writer John Cargan, and today we're talking about online sales tax. Joining me is Bradley Scott of Halstead, a small wholesale jewelry supplier in Arizona. Brad will be speaking at a congressional hearing on March 3rd on the landmark Wayfair v. South Dakota case, which caused this whole mess. Brad, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm doing well this morning, thank you. And yourself? I'm pretty good. I appreciate you taking the time to come on here. You know, I wrote this article on uh, ASICentral.com uh, over the past week, got a lot of feedback, but for someone like you who's actually going to be speaking at this hearing, I think people will get a lot more value out of hearing it straight from you. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, we keep an eye on the media on a regular basis on this issue, and really anytime we see something about the Wayfair issue, it uh, piques our interest. Well, before we get into that, in case people in our industry, promotional products, aren't familiar with your company, tell us about Halstead. We are a small jewelry component wholesaler in Prescott, Arizona. We employ about 30 people, been in business for 47 years, and uh, for the last 20-some years, we have been operating our own independent website and selling across the country and internationally. So this case... Wayfair, you know, the Wayfair case. How did this affect your company specifically? Well, there's a couple of different angles where it affects us. The first and most critical is the fact that we do sell into every state in the country, which means we have to monitor our nexus threshold um, numbers in every state in the country. So that right there is kind of a challenge because nexus thresholds vary from state to state. They could be $100,000, $200,000, 100 transactions, 200 transactions, no transactional limit whatsoever. It varies by state, and those rules are changing on such a regular basis that you have to constantly get into the state's Department of Revenue websites to find out what their thresholds are at any given point in time. Um, so just from knowing our nexus obligations, we have to do a lot of uh, monthly research. Um, and then, as you mentioned earlier, and I did as well, we are a wholesaler. So most of our transactions are business-to-business, -business, and the, the, the primary set state of any sale in the eyes of the Department of Revenue is once you make that transaction, it's considered taxable unless you have an exemption certificate to back up that transaction. So as a small business, the vast majority of our customer base is wholesale, and so we have to manage exemption certificates for most of our customer base. Now, again, as with the reporting requirements, the, um, the exemption certificate requirement are a huge hurdle as well. So every state has their own idea of the information that you have to have on file. They have their own idea of the way that you have to store that information. And if you have that information incorrect, or if there is a company using an exemption certificate that's not valid, it is our responsibility to collect the tax, which we wouldn't have because we assumed the transaction was non-taxable as a result of it being a wholesale trade uh, transaction. And so we basically have to expense any sales tax that the Department of Revenue might determine that we owe them. Um, so it's, it's a lot of management of our customer base and of the Departments of Revenue's uh, rules and regulations. And frankly, it's caused us a lot of, a lot of work that does not benefit our business. It doesn't benefit our customer base. Uh, it's basically turned us into a surrogate tax collector for the Departments of Revenue across the country. 
and, and you're pretty much getting it on both ends then, right? Because you're not only having to, uh, I guess if you go over to threshold to pay that tax, you have to also collect that tax from uh, whoever you sell it to. We do, and we use software. There are certified service providers that are out there. Um, they provide differing degrees of software that can assist you in the process, but they are not a complete solution. And we have had numerous problems over the last year and a half with our selected service provider because of their failures to report or remit on our behalf with the um, certain states. So, yeah, it's, you know, from, from the vantage point of collecting from the customer, we have to know the sales tax rate for an estimated 12,000 different tax jurisdictions across the country. We have to collect it from that customer. We have to keep it. We have to file and remit it to the states where it's due. And it, it creates an enormous administrative headache um, because, like I said, it's it's not really something that adds value to our customer base. It doesn't add value to our business. It's just pushing papers and working with an enormous explosion of regulatory burden. So I know you said that you use some software systems uh, to do this. Have you also had to bring in additional staff or, or maybe change the positions of some of the people working for you? We have. So, I mean, we're a small business, and I think a lot of businesses can relate to this. The accounting department, of which I am or was the accounting department, isn't, an, isn't a major component of a small business. Um, you know, we've got our monthly requirements. We've got our benefits administration. We've got our payroll. We've got payables. But it really, it's not an enormous task. Um, so I was managing the entire accounting department solo prior to the Wayfair decision. And within a year of the decision, we realized that I was no longer enough, that I was being spread so thin that I needed an assistant. And so we hired one last year. And while it has been helpful, unfortunately, one person or two people do not make a state and local tax department. Um, if we want to have a, a salt department here that is effective and efficient across the entire country, I don't know the number of people that we need, but I can tell you that two and probably even five is not enough. It's it's crazy, and, it, and it's you know you're facing the same challenges that so many people in our industry and really tons of industries all over the country are having to go through this. Now, I want to get some clarification on something that. You know, I did in my report, I talked to a distributor, a small distributor, and some of them said they had trouble getting that resale certificate. Um, you know, from, from your understanding, is it difficult to obtain one of these in every state that you're doing business in? Well, it is a challenge, and the challenges are, are twofold. The first is exactly what certificate are you talking about? If you're talking about Arizona, it's a four and 5,000 A. If you're talking about an SST state member, uh, it's a form F0003, or each state also has their own independent form. So you can collect one or the other. However, each of them has its own constraint. Um, if it's a non-SST state, then it could be that state's independent form. It could be the business license. It could be the sales tax license. It could be an MTC is uh, register issued exemption certificate, the MTC being multi-state tax commission. But the MTC the exemption certificate has three pages and 26 different exceptions as to how you have to process those particular exemption certificates by state. So it's, it's an enormous headache just to figure out exactly which exemption certificate you need to have on file. So that's, that's the first problem. 
the second problem, and I, I, I lied earlier, it's not two problems, there's three problems. <laughs> the second problem is that you don't know, or you have to determine, depending on which state you're shipping into, exactly how long that exemption certificate is valid. In Arizona, they're valid for each calendar year. Same with Florida. In other states, they're valid for two years, three years, four years. In some states, it's indefinite. And so with each customer, you have to you have to basically maintain that customer file on an independent basis and do an audit every single month to determine if the exemption certificate you have, that you have on file for that customer is still valid or not. Because once it's no longer valid, any transaction to that customer, whether or not it's a wholesale business-to-business transaction, is still considered taxable in the eyes of the Department of Revenue. Now, some states have gone even further. Maryland has an exemption certificate, but it only applies to orders of $200 or greater. So any tax or any transaction less than $200, even if it's business-to-business, is still taxable. And New Mexico's gone a step further. New Mexico has to have an exemption certificate. Their, their, their businesses have to have an exemption file specifically tied to our business, and they are only good for five transactions, which means that every time we do, after, after every fifth transaction to a particular business in New Mexico, we have to uh, demand another exemption certificate from them. So those are the two problems from the awareness and management side. Now, as far as getting your customers to actually fill out the exemption certificates, they're kind of a nightmare because a lot of times when you're dealing with a customer who is running a small business, and we sell to a lot of micro-businesses and, and small one-off operations, um, they aren't they aren't fully aware of all the technical requirements for that piece of paperwork. And so what happens is they'll fill it out like any normal person would, and then we receive it, and because our staff is trained on how to read these things, we recognize that there is an error. So we reach back out to our customer, and then we'll go through. I mean, this could take one, two, three, four, five different contact points with each customer just to manage and make sure that we have that exemption certificate filled out properly. Because if it's not, again, that tax requirement comes back on us. So it creates kind of a, a little bit of friction with our customers just to make sure that we have the documentation correct. And in best of cases, that entire process takes a few minutes. In the worst of cases, it can take an entire day. So in our case, we've got 2,400 different customers with exemption certificates. At the best, it took us 600 hours to process those. Wow. At worst, it took us 2,400 days. So you know, that's a, that's a broad range. Now, the exemption certificates that we get uh, – once we have those in our hands, we still don't know if they're valid or not. So we have to reach out to each of the states in their own peculiar way to verify if that exemption certificate is valid or not. Because if it's valid, we're set. But if it's not, again, the tax burden falls back on us if and when we are audited by that Department of Revenue. There's just there's just so much there. It's It's such a burden on companies like you, you know, you you don't have the resources to be doing all this and and as you said you know you really shouldn't be because it's not providing any value to to your customer obviously you're going to oh, be oh I'm sorry go ahead I was just to say we're drowning in it yeah. we've diverted more than 3800 hours in the last year away from business operations towards sales tax compliance now you're going to obviously be sharing all of this at the hearing but but you know what are you going to recommend that the government does to because I don't think they're going to overturn the whole thing, right? You know, I don't see a need to overturn the whole thing. Um, really, sales tax 
in its truest form, is a consumer expense. And so the fact that we are collecting and remitting that sales tax, it's, it's not actually coming out of our pockets. What's coming out of our pockets currently is the expense of managing that sales tax obligation. So our recommendations at the federal level um, are to basically command the states to make a uniform sales tax policy. So by that, I mean, if I am selling my goods from Arizona into the state of Texas, Texas currently has a single sales tax rate for remote sellers across the country. That's a fairly easy ask. It doesn't take a lot. You know, if we have a customer in Texas, if they are wholesale, tax rate is zero. If they are retail, the tax rate is whatever the going rate is in Texas, and it's one rate. So all we have to do is put into our existing uh, IT framework the sales tax rate for that retail customer in Texas. At the end of the month, I file the information with a single point in Texas, and we're set. Now, unfortunately, because of a number of policies in the past, Texas is pushing or facing some pushback right now because the way sales tax works, you're not allowed to, or the states are not allowed to, um, erect a system whereby one co- one company has a better or advantageous tax rate than another company. And so it's it's called penny for penny parity. And it's not really, it's it's understandable, but in the current tax regime climate, it is it's not really practical. So one of the things that we want to request at the federal level is, is allowing for a single state tax rate for remote sellers. Now, if that means that within the state they have to do the same thing, I don't know. But for remote sellers and for small businesses like ours, it would reduce the burden substantially. Another ask that we're making is that instead of having to file with the Departments of Revenue across the country, we could file with the Department of Revenue in Arizona all of the information regarding to sales to customers across the country, and then the Department of Revenue in Arizona communicates that information to departments across the country and vice versa, meaning that we only have one contact point, we only have one remittance point, and we only have one filing point. Now we're talking about something that is similar to what a brick-and-mortar store on Main Street is facing, and it's, it's a manageable level of work. Um, so those are, those are two of the things we're asking for. Obviously, those are going to be challenges. And if, if remitting to a single filing point in the state of Arizona for our business is, is too high a hurdle to get over, then at least making it so that there is only a single filing point in each of the states. So by that right now, I mean, if I file in Texas, I have to file with one location. However, if I file in Colorado, I potentially have to file with dozens or more. So every single month, I have to file and remit with multiple jurisdictions just in the state of Colorado. It becomes an unwieldy nightmare. So those are a couple of points that we're asking for. Um, another one that we're asking for is the exemption certificate standard. As I mentioned earlier, every single state has their own idea of what constitutes a valid exemption certificate. If there is a single recognizable nationally accepted exemption certificate, it would dramatically reduce the amount of time and effort that we are spending or that we are spending uh, managing our exemption certificate. The other thing, and this is really critical. Wayfair, the case, was directed at online wholesalers. If that is really the intent of the case, then it really should only be retail sales that are based online. As we are currently seeing with departments of revenue across the country, 
nothing to do with retail sales. It's nothing to do with online sales. It's everything to do with gross receipts and interstate transactions, which effectively pulls in every line of industry if those businesses are dealing across state lines. That is a, that is a giant leap from what the Wayfair decision was saying. Um, what's more, states are now using the threshold for Nexus, um, not just against sales tax, but they're using it against gross receipts or, or income tax, meaning that there is now direct taxation by departments of revenue across the country uh, levied on our company just based in Arizona. So another of the points that we're asking for in D.C. is to narrow the scope of the Wayfair decision and this mandate to simply address sales tax and nothing else, because as it currently stands, we are facing an unimaginably different sales tax and taxation landscape in the last year and a half that we're quite frankly not prepared to manage because it's just it's just impossible. Um, we have reached out to CPAs in the area and they are incapable of helping us because of the complexity of this. And when a company of our size reaches out to one of the big four taxing firms in the country, um, they don't want anything to do with us because we're too small. So there's a there's an enormous gap in service there, and unless uh, unless the federal government mandates a degree of simplicity and uniformity across the country, the, there's really no way for a company our size, um, or even several times larger than us, to manage this. Well, uh, you know, we gave a lot of information here, and I hope that our listeners, uh, you know, both suppliers and distributors, because it's affecting the entire promotional products industry supply chain, as well as industries throughout the country, can all take away from this. Is there anything that they can do um, to, to, I guess, uh, assist in this process or, or participate in the hearing? Is there anything that people listening can do? Absolutely. Um I've been to D.C. three times in the last seven months. I'm going to be there several more times over the next couple months. And by and large, what I hear from most congressional offices is that they aren't hearing about any challenges as a result of the Wayfair decision. Mm. Um, a lot of small companies, ourself included, spend most of their time focusing on their business, trying to remain relevant, trying to grow, trying to be competitive. We're not paying attention to Supreme Court decisions. We're not paying attention to the uh, the releases of new rules and regulations from departments of revenue that we've never had to work with in the past. So there is a, a void on Capitol Hill as to what's really going on out there in the rest of the country. And the best thing that our, our teams can do, and I'm going to call everybody who's listening right now one of my teammates, because the fact of the matter is we're in this together. We're going to sink or we're going to swim. But unless we reach out as a unified voice to our congressional leaders and say, um, we need help, we're not going to get that help. They're only hearing from the big companies that can afford lobbyists on the Hill. And I can tell you right now, the Walmarts, the Amazons, the Targets, they are not troubled by this. They had 50 state presence. Prior to the Wayfair decision, this is business as usual for them, and they aren't going to be up on the hill saying, we got a problem. Um, it's incumbent upon the small businesses like ourselves to reach out to our legislative members uh, from our home states um, to tell them that we've got a problem. And I would go a step further. I would say reach out 
to your own state delegates, both in the House, even if they're not your local representative, and definitely both of your senators. And then take a look at the members of several committees that are, are relevant to this issue. In the Senate, that's Senate Finance. In the House of Representatives, it's the Judiciary Committee. Uh, the Senate Small Business Committee is highly relevant for small businesses. The House Small Business Committee is highly relevant, and the fact of the matter is they are holding a hearing next week on this issue. Uh, and then there's the Ways and Means Commissions as well, or committees as well. So there are a lot of different avenues that you can um, go down to get redress on this. Now, for the listeners who are not familiar with this, it's complex, it's confusing. We were there a year ago. Up until April of last year, aside from voting in general election, I'd never had any political outreach in my life. Um, there are people that will help. There are ways that you can get a hold of who you need to get a hold of. And our, our, first, our first gaffe was thinking that we needed a meeting with the member of Congress themselves. They're busy people. They have a busier schedule than I ever imagined. So when you are reaching out to offices, and I'll tell you right now, the easiest way to find out who I'm talking about, register with a website called BillTrack50. That's BillTrack50. You register. It's free. There is no sign-up fee, but you do have to have a registration so that you can log in. Then find your member, whichever member you're targeting. Put their name in a legislative box. Hit search. They'll find the member for you. You click on that member's name, and then you go to their staff. You're looking for the legislative director. You're looking for legislative assistants. You're looking for policy advisors. Those are the titles that you want. Their email addresses are right there. And when you reach out to them, it's really easy to get communication back. They don't ignore you. It may take a couple of efforts to get a hold of them, but they do not ignore you. And they are incredibly interested in the well-being of our country. So what can you do? Reach out to your legislators in-state and then find members on those committees and reach out to them at the federal level, you know, across the country. In the last seven months, I've had meetings with more than 35 different offices in D.C. Just to give you a point of reference, our state has only 11 elected officials in D.C. right now. So I've had meetings across the board. Some of my most effective meetings and beneficial meetings have been with members in states that are 1,500 miles away. Um, I've had great help from our, our state elected officials, but I'm also getting an equal amount of assistance and interest from people from all the way on the other side of the country. So you gotta, you've got to get involved. And I know if you're not in compliance, which a number of businesses are, that can be a scary thing to do. Um, and I'm not going to advise whether you should or should not. But if you're in compliance or you're trying to get in compliance or you've already had outreach from the Department of Revenue and they know about you, the gig is up. You've got to get involved. You've got to make your voice heard. You've got to put your face and your voice out there in such a way that the media cannot ignore you, the legislative body cannot ignore you, and frankly, um, the rest of industry cannot ignore you. Well, I appreciate you making your voice heard, Brad, and thank you for sharing all this great information with us here at the ASI Podcast, and good luck at this congressional hearing on March 3rd. All right. Thanks, John. Thank Have a great you. day. Have a good one.